My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Born to serve. My eyes see injustice, my hands work for change, my tongue sing the sorrow of my heart. Welcome back to Born to Serve on Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM. We continue the second part of the interview with Sheikh Mohammed bin Yahya and Ninawi and Malana Aslam Qasim. Stay tuned. Sheikh Talas, um, leisure time? Now, <laughs> I don't think there's any leisure time left. <laughs> my leisure time now is spending it with my children, to be honest with you. And uh, I, because I get, unfortunately, to travel a lot, so I take every minute. Uh, to spend with my with my children, I have three uh, children. Allah may Allah subhanahu wa taala preserve them and preserve your children and all the children of the listeners, and grant them all the best. I have Yahya who's nine years old and Ali who's seven and Zainab who's almost two. So I try to spend as much time play with them. Just be a child. It, it always it's it's nice for me. I put everything aside and try to just to play, and be the be a child. And there's always a, a child inside of me in a sense. Um, and uh, it's the most it's the most precious gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me after Iman is that you know you, you just go there and you just um, you know you just uh, have Enjoy your time, time yeah. with, the, with, the, yeah. with the children it's amazing um, Sheikh to get now into the um, in Cape Town the establishment of the Medina Institute what what initially brought about the establishment of this Institute uh, Medina Institute was always an idea uh, in a sense uh, uh, in my head for 20-30 years since I moved to the West 28 years ago, 27 years ago I thought that Medina in the sense of uh, going back to the basics which is the book and the authentic Sunnah so obviously in the West there's a bigger gap than in South Africa Alhamdulillah in South Africa you have lots of uh, institutions that teach knowledge and and contribute positively obviously to the ummah I mean I don't want to go through the institutions but you have plenty and there's many people and many people have done great things so uh, I thought uh, the, my initial idea was let's make an I let's make a, a program where we ad, we re, uh, attract the youth that other institutions who are doing wonderful job and probably more capable than ours as well are not doing such as the one-year program so I just came up with the one year it's part of sort of trying to contribute in whatever way possible to the youth I strongly believe that the youth of today face different challenges I don't want to necessarily say more challenges than our Salaf our pious predecessors mm -hmm. but maybe just different sets of challenges and there's so many things that are taking their attention away from the Deen so diversifying the facets of Deeny knowledge can also help to bring them some people are attracted to your style some people are attracted to my style some people are attracted to extra XYZ style and at the end we all win so that was really the idea 
uh, obviously not uh, it's it's it was never an idea of competition or an idea of replacement there is no need for competition or replacement mm -hmm. there is a need for supplementation and trying to also work with different kinds of youth so that was the idea to make that one year uh, something and also uh, uh, contribute the beautiful about thing about south africa especially cape town is that beautiful diversity you have in, in in Cape Town? You have the you know the great Malay population here and there. You know, people are very well, uh, very very sort of they're very traditional. They're you know, and a lot of them have also a Shafi'i background. You have also the Indian population who also have a Hanafi background. So that amalgamation, in a sense, by itself, open, gives a more opening to a, a d diversity in the sense and. Uh, uh, I thought that was that was something good. So the Medina Institute was just really an idea in a sense to work with the youth and bring them closer to the Dean in one way or another. And then obviously they can continue whether it's with Medina or with any other institution that's out there. Mm -hmm. Will there be plans to include a second and a third year for the future? Yeah, that this has been talked about since the word Usuluddin is in a sense, or the program Usuluddin, I understood that was Sharia was uh, 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 offered. Usuluddin in a sense, and that approach, like the Azhari approach in a sense, was not offered. But then I understood also other institutions also offered in one way or another. So yes, that's talked about. Uh, it has not been formulated properly the way that it should be, but it's talked about. To be honest with you, the focus still is more, my focus is still more on the one year and get these, these, these teenagers who want to be engineers, accountants, whatever they want to be. They can't take four years to study four years or six years, but they can take one year. Let's take the one year, give them a preview of what people go through six years, just mm -hmm. a preview, not a full view. And, you know, they have an idea and that's enough for them to sort of be functional uh, students rather than scholars throughout their, acad their, their academic professional lives. That mm -hmm. was the idea. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, enlighten us as to uh, what has made Sheikh choose uh, the Akira Tahawiyya as the subject matter of choice for addressing the general public as well. <sighs> Oof. That's weighty. Uh, well, I mean, it's weighty <laughs> in the sense because, number one, I didn't really choose it. <laughs> Um, especially in South Africa, I was suggest people suggested, can you please teach that text? Now, but it started in America when I went to the U.S. in the late 80s. Uh, I started teaching the text. Reason is obviously not only because we studied it. I studied it obviously with my father and other shuyukh in Syria, and then in Al Azhar, etc., etc. But you see, in Aqidah Tahawiya, the text of Imam Tahawi, number one, Imam Tahawi is hadith. He's half of hadith, mm -hmm. and you know the people of hadith are usually. Uh, very balanced. I'm not saying in, I'm not trying to make a distinction between muhaditin and fuqaha, but I'm saying a faqih, a madhabi faqih especially, is very grounded and staunch to the fiqh of the madhab that he's teaching. A hadith is more uh, the, uh, the pharmacy and the faqih is more the doctor. So the doctor gives you specific medication. But the pharmacy has all the medications, mm. you see. So, and because the hadith, so Imam Tahawi, number Tahawi, number one is a, is a faqih and muhaddith. But muhaddith more than a faqih as well. I mean, he's got all this, you know, the, uh, the, the, the books and hadith anyway. And you know, he switched from the Shafi'i to the Hanafi uh, eventually. 
Rahimahullah wa anhu. So number one, I found that obviously Imam, he's, he's that, he combines hadith and fiqh, not just hadith. So that number two, his Salafi, in a sense, being of the Salaf, the pious predecessors. It's different when a scholar is from the Khalaf and the scholars are from the Salaf. You know, he's from the second century, 330 something, he passed away. So, I mean, we're talking about the prime era of scholarship. And the third is that all Muslim groups, and I understand, and we're not going to necessarily go on the grouping. Mm. And I, to me, again, like I said, anyone who says, La ilaha illallah Muhammadun Rasulullah uh, has my love, love and respect. Uh, we may disagree, we may have creedal disagreement, but under that banner, that is a bond, just like the Prophet, and that comes from the prophetic hadith, not from me, mm-hmm. right? Hadith for Sahih, and other hadith Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhuma, whoever, man qala la ilaha illallah, even the word, not man qal, whoever says la ilaha illallah. Uh, that's it, and that's where I stop. I cannot go beyond that where the Prophet sallallahu himself stopped. So with that, uh, you see amongst the umbrella of whoever calls himself Ahlul Sunnah, regardless of what there they stand, they all agree on Imam Tahawi. They may not agree on Nasafi because they say Imam Nasafi has some philosophical wordings in it, some kalam, not rather than hadith. But it seems like all the groups agree on, yani let's say, no, let's not say, all the groups agree on Imam Tahawi's as, as this. So I started teaching in the U.S. in the late 80s, and people at that time, they asked me in the U.S. and the Masajid, what is Imam Tahawi? What do you mean? Who's Imam Tahawi? What is this Aqidah Tahawiya? What is this business? So it was not known in the early 90s. People did not know about it. And I was going grassroots from masjid to masjid, teaching five, six, seven, ten people about this. And I spent years, almost a decade doing that. Eventually, it became known. Allah put some barakah anyway. Not even, I mean, not because of me. It became known because Imam Tahawi is very known. So when I came to, uh, to Africa, South Africa, uh, I was requested to do that. And uh, I did it. That's all. Alhamdulillah. Sheikh Dallas, just to change the, the, the tone a bit, uh, do Sheikh believe that uh, it's genetically encoded with leadership or was it something which life experiences and, and also the circumstances contributed to where Sheikh is uh, today? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I believe that there, the Ummah has lots of good people everywhere. And the masses of the Ummah are great people. They love Allah, they love His Deen, they love the Prophet ﷺ, and all the Ummah, I'm saying, all of them. They have this zeal, they have this love, they have this. And I believe also the Ummah is facing unprecedented challenges today, not just from uh, you know, uh, let's say violent extremism, violent sectarianism, violent, I'm talking, not just radical. With atheism becoming also more, more verbally violent than ever, for example. Uh, and other things, a preaching culture rather than an, a teaching culture, uh, cult culture rather than dean culture. So there are lots of challenges, I feel, and I think everybody else who's in the field is doing a, probably a much better job and a greater job than me and better people than me. But I, I thought that there was a calling and, and uh, I, I couldn't, I, I hadn't, you know, in a sense, I found myself having to do what I do. D- despite myself wanting not to, in fact, because after I started 
I came to the U.S. from the late 80s to 94 almost, and that's when I said, you know what, I need to go study myself. I'm not going to be teaching. I, I should not be teaching. I need to go be studying. That's after I sort of finished my Azhar and all that stuff and et cetera, and, and I was employed as Imam, you know, all that stuff. I said, you know what, I need to teach. I need to study, and that's what's more important. So I did, I went out studying in a sense on my own and through mashayikh and then I went through secular studies in micro and microbiology and medicine and all that stuff hoping that I would that would let me go find that maybe not my calling to actually go and and teach the dean but then I found myself right after I finished I graduated from med school and I taught at the university of medicine for about seven years uh, I found myself right back again and the loop of teaching. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's what's good or what's better for me. Only Allah knows. I'm taking it one you know one step at a time. I did not really intend to full time teach. I intend to spend a lot of time and knowledge, and learn. And I had written lots of little books, even twenty. No, I shouldn't say lots. Lots means maybe fifteen, twenty. You know, back maybe twenty five years ago or so. But I wasn't really planning on teaching and being in the field of dawah full-time no mm -hmm. whether it's good or bad I mean on my part whether imperfection obviously on my part or not I didn't plan Sheikh mm -hmm. um, there are many um, when it comes to stresses uh, often leadership positions and positions that we find ourselves in stresses and compromises uh, are there occasions when you get stress from of the workload oh, sure Sure, uh, there are lots of occasions where I'm very stressed and, uh, and you know, uh, traveling itself is a stress mm -hmm. and uh, when you travel obviously you meet people and people have expectations and uh, it doesn't matter what happens or what were you feeling, what you're going through, that, all that stuff makes no difference. You're expected obviously to give 300%, not just 100% and so I try to do the best to meet that expectation that I have, that I believe before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because I believe that I need to sort of meet that expectation before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the public. So that sometimes stresses me and especially or when I don't feel that I delivered the best I could have and that when I feel that I have, I could have done better and uh, that that's very frustrating for me sometimes because you can, you know, oftentimes, you know, from, you said, oh, I should have, you know, I could have said that, I should have said that, I've, mm -hmm. but sometimes, so that's very frustrating, yes. <laughs> now tell us uh, some of your most memorable stresses, perhaps, and, and how you dealt with it. Most memorable? Stresses. Whoa. <laughs> most memorable stresses is when you're invited to speak before lots of people, not necessarily your students, in a sense that study with you, and you're expected to target some subtopic to a level of prof professionalism, and uh, you actually have you woke up either uh, not feeling well, or you were traveling and your plane was delayed, and you just got there right before the convention, and you have. 10,000 people to tell them about something that you absolutely you are so tired you don't have anything in your mind <laughs> and that happened to me recently as well so 
you know, when I was in Malaysia. So there was maybe about five, six, seven thousand people. And I didn't know what to say. I'm sure they never picked it up, Sheikh. It was probably a really if, if they haven't, then that's the grace of Allah <laughs> subhanahu wa ta'ala. But to me, because when you sometimes when you're traveling and you're sick, you're not you can't you have I had no voice even. I didn't I couldn't I couldn't speak. I had the flu, severe flu. I had severe headache, backache, headache, you name it, all kinds of aches. And I am in a foreign country. I just arrived maybe a few days before. And, uh, and you're going there. You can't even think even if you want to. So, you know. <laughs> Many associate the word uh, leadership with, with acquisition of power, which can often lead to flattery and being surrounded by people sometimes with it's false hearted. Can, can she advise how to deal with this kind of scenarios? Look, Sheikh, I mean, it's something I deal with every day. And uh, that's because, we, like I said, since we've turned the deen into a, cult, a preaching culture and a sometimes cult system as well, rather than deen system, there's always this cheerleading things. There's always this, you know, when they introduce you, then they want to say your biography. And then they pick all these glamorous world, words. And all these glamorous words are absolutely poisonous. They're poisonous to the self. They're poisonous to the heart because they put you where you don't really belong, especially when they say some, he's an expert on this, whether it's me or somebody else. I mean, somebody else maybe, but expert on this. Mm -hmm. Expert is a very big word. Expert is something, you know. So I try to stop myself. I try to tell them as well, and I try to stop myself from believing that because I don't believe I am a scholar. That's a fact. It's not. It's not being. It's not. It's not about being modest. It's not being. It's not humility. It's a fact that I know more than anybody else. Scholarship is something, and being students, student of knowledge is another. Scholars to me is like Imam, you know, Imam Suyuti. That's a scholar. Imam Nawawi. That's a scholar. Uh, you know, these big people, Akhi. But I mean, to me, I mean, I'm a stu we're students of knowledge. So I stand corrected. I've learned. That doesn't mean I am a scholar. That doesn't mean I, I speak on behalf of Islam. And because Islam speaks on behalf of everyone. I, Islam does not need a spokesperson to speak on its behalf. Islam is spoken. Uh, so I believe I'm a student scholar to say, or student of knowledge, let me say. And that, that's why I, stand, I follow the book and the authentic sunnah as a manhaj, as a methodology. Uh, I view good in all the ummah, uh, but yet still I am assertive and being, uh, following the book and the sunnah on the view, school of Al-Sunnah, obviously. And at the same time, I stand corrected based on the book and the sunnah. From this approach that I am learning, I am not learned fully. I am learning and I will keep learning to the last day of my life. Mm. So from that perspective, when I hear flattering, when I hear these things, I know what they don't know about myself. They assume I know everything i don't know everything that's a fact not only i don't know everything like i said i personally view scholarship is different than preaching is different than students so preaching is one thing student of knowledge is another obviously a preacher must be a student of knowledge still but you know there's maybe more studio studying involved in being student of knowledge than being a scholar maybe student scholar but a scholar i mean you know Scholar to me is something really, it's like the stars of the skies. And the stars of the skies are, you know, they're, they're far. They're not easily reachable. Sheikh, hmm. tell us in a few words, um, which stand that I on top of you in, in that leadership cabinet, so to say, to inspire us with several words um, oh. when it comes to leadership. 
I think the Prophet ﷺ's method, leading from behind. Mm-hmm. He used to lead his companions from behind ﷺ. So his companions walk next to him or ahead of him. And he's walking, he's leading them from behind. So number one, it's the modesty of Sayyidina Rasulullah ﷺ. Number two, that they are his companions. Remember, the Prophet ﷺ never called his companions students. He never said, they're my students. He said, they're my companions. So he made them feel this is their deen. You're my, you're my companion. And he called us his brothers. I mean, look at that, right? Like the hadith in Muslim, I wish I met my brothers. So I think that's, that's the inspiration. And the Khulafa Rashid, obviously, look at Sayyidina Abu Bakr, the first righteous Khalifa, right? He goes and says on the member, if I make a mistake, correct me. I mean, the first righteous Khalifa. And Sayyidina Umar, when he stands corrected before a woman of the masses, Sayyidina Uthman, Sayyidina Ali, that's my example, that's my role model. Going on My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Born to serve. My eyes see injustice, my hands work for change, my tongue sing the sorrow of my heart. The love of Allah combined with hope. Let's hold hands as we make a start. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Welcome back to Born to Serve on Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM. We continue the third and final part of the interview with Sheikh Muhammad bin Yahya al-Ninawi and Mulana Aslam Qasim. Stay tuned. How can we reconcile uh, the state of leadership in the Muslim world currently with the Prophet ﷺ example of, of leadership? Oh, that's a difficult one because, I mean, the Prophet ﷺ was comprehensive, a comprehensive leader. Today we have sub-specialist, sub-leaders, leader in matters of hadith, leader, leaders in matters of fiqh, leader, leaders in matters of tafsir. And then if we make them all together, we have leaders in matters of deen, leaders in matters of politics. So all these things are already so spread uh, it's difficult uh, to sort of collect all that stuff in one personality. And that's when they used to say, you know, a, a, a alim. A alim comes from alam, universe, the world. So to have a, the world in a person is not easy. Um, so uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide our religious leaders and political leaders and everyone to the best of ways. Mm-hmm. That's all we can do. Mm-hmm. For many Muslims, there can be an attitude of uh, despondency and resignation to attacks on Islam and, and the negative attention and hatred that's aimed at the deen. What message of hope and motivation can Sheikh share with us on this? Bismillah. Look, I can say that these, the hate never stopped. Violence never stopped. In other words, it was always there. Remember, even the beginning of humanity started with a crime. Cain, Qabil, killed Abel, Habil. That was from the beginning. Violence and violent language was always there. Arrogance was from Shaitan and our father Adam. It's, never, it's not going to disappear. It's part of life. So 
the question is, how do we respond to that violence, whether it's verbal violence or actual violence, like in the case of Iblis, verbal violence, and like in the case of Qabil, Cain over Abel over Qahabil with actual violence. I believe that violence breeds violence. So in other words, we don't respond. We don't dignify verbal violence with verbal violence. We don't dignify slander with slander. We don't dignify, uh, we don't, uh, the answer to evil is not evil. Uh, it takes light to extinguish darkness. It takes love to extinguish hate. It takes a helping hand to teach a, a depriving hand the meaning of giving. So, it, you know them by opposites. Like I always say, look, uh, Islam teaches us the concept of ihsan. And ihsan means if you're good to those who are good to you, then what good are you? So, as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Islamic history filled with uh, leadership lessons. Uh, which of them to Sheikh inspires uh, and inspires others? I believe among the best Islamic history models we have, obviously, other than the prophets themselves, because they're the best role model, and Sayyidina Rasulullah being the best role model at all, are the four righteous khulafa in that sequence. Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, uh, remember what he, the position he took with the people he prevented or, uh, or uh, refused to give zakat, that non-compromise on the haqq, all right? That was a strength. Nobody would thought. Nobody thought that Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiAllahu anhu would do that because Sayyidina Abu Bakr was known to be very uh, a man who easily cries, a man whose very heart heart is very soft. And even Sayyida Aisha and the authentic hadith. You remember when the Prophet sallallahu was not feeling well, and she said, "Don't put Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr, you can't hear him when he cries. You want to make him the Imam for the Salah. Remember that." And then the Prophet sallallahu insistence that no, you ya Allah wa Rasuluhu illa Abu Bakr. Allah and his Prophet want Abu Bakr. So, for us, then all of a sudden. To see that Sayyidina Abu Bakr goes and, you know, and doesn't even budge where Umar now himself is budging. He, Umar is having, but how do we fight? And they say, La ilaha illallah, what do you want us to do with this? So, and Sayyidina Abu Bakr tells Umar, A jabbaron fil jahiliya, khawaron fil Islam. Oh, Umar, you are giant in the jahiliya, and now when in Islam you start having uh, second thoughts about these things. So, that, that's leadership. Right? Mm -hmm. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, in many things he did. Look, even when he, for example, was stabbed. In, in, in the masjid, responsibility did not mean he was immediately, he immediately assigned a council. Bring six people, make sure someone is chosen. What happened to the salah right away? Responsibility. I mean, he was dying, he knew. But responsibility, that's leadership. Leadership is, I go down, but what I go down, but the message never goes. Sayyidina Uthman, they came and told him, you know what, just step out and you have your life. He says, no, I will never take a kameez, I will never take a, a clothing, a garment that Allah garment, garmented, clothed me with, because you're saying, you want to kill me, you kill me while I'm there. I'm not leaving. He was 90 years old. Again, leadership. Sayyidina Ali, in all his six years of ruling, leadership, even with the Khawarij, who declared him kafir, what does he do? He tells him, look, you got three things I'll give you. Number one, I'll never start, with, start you with a fight. Violence, I'm not starting you with. You're declaring whatever you want, I'm not starting with a fight. Number two, I will not prevent you from the money of the Muslims. 
Yani zakah and fay and, and sadaqah and these things will give you money even, will help you. Social utilities, no problem. Mm. Uh, and number three, we will not prevent you from coming to our masajid. That's leadership. It's not reactionary. Hmm. Sheikh, one or two more questions and, and we'll conclude, inshallah. What does do what do Sheikh feel you need to work on in, your, in a person's self-development? What we need to work on our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, like, so we can realize, we all knew, and I myself need to, so I can realize the true meaning of the hadith of the Prophet wasallam of Ihsan, that you worship Allah as if you're seeing Him. If you're not seeing Him, He's seeing you. Uh, I have a long way to work on that, uh, personally, if you're asking me. To try to worship Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, as if I'm seeing Him in everything, in every detail, in every second of my day. Mm-hmm. As Allah's Khalifa and Vice-Gerent in this temporary world, what as an Ummah should we uphold upon um, to live up to the significant title which Allah has blessed, blessed us with? As the Khalifa of Allah on earth, as in a sense, yani the Ummah, not a person here in a sense, the Khilafa of Allah on earth, I can say in three words, the Ummah needs to give and offer everyone, all humanity, hope, growth and opportunity. Sheikh Regardless. Finally, Sheikh, future plans? Future plans are only with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We pray that Allah bless our time and, and facilitate the best for us. Ameen. Ameen. Uh, Sheikh, thanks. Thank you. Shukran. Jazakumullah. May Allah reward Sheikh for the time and effort which uh, Sheikh have undertaken to inspire, with, uh, inspire us today. Alhamdulillah. So we're very fortunate. And once again, we thank Sheikh. To our listeners, uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, hope that you uh, have been inspired by what she has related to us in our program for today. So I'm Aslam Qasim. Shukran for joining us here on The Voice of the Cape 91.3. Our guest once again has been Sheikh Mohammed bin Yahya and Nanawi coming to the studios of The Voice of the Cape. Sheikh, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum warahmatullahi wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. That was the interview with uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Yahya and Ninawi and Mulana Aslam Qaslim. Uh, thank you so much for joining me this evening on your favorite radio station, Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM, this, the show Born to Serve. We truly hope that you have enjoyed your show and inshallah the audio will be loaded onto our website. Comments may be sent to Zulfa B at vocfm.co.za. From myself, Muhammad Sheikh, keep safe. Keep steadfast on deen and keep us in your du'as. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.